Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, while you're turning there, let me say congratulations to the Bulldogs on a big win yesterday. It's good to see college football back in action. My Aggies uh, won, too. We played Kent State. I didn't even know Kent State had a football team. So we like to start out with easy teams. I think next week we play like Hockaday Girls School. So. But it's good to see college football back in action. So if you're in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, let me kind of explain the plan for the next uh, couple of weeks. I'm going to be preaching on the Lord's Supper. So I'm going to be preaching on the Lord's Supper today and next week. And what I'm going to talk about, one of the things we're going to do is at the end of the service, we're going to have a slight change to the way we take the Lord's Supper. And then next week, we're going to have another change. But I'll, I'll kind of explain. Because if you notice, we've had the little cups before that we pick up. We still have those this morning, but we're going to have the, you come and, and pick those up. As a, we're going to do that as a church body from the table this morning. So, but I'll, I'll talk more about the end of the service. So what I want to do this week is to teach some basically basic doctrine about the Lord's Supper. Uh, next week, I'm actually super excited about it. Not that I'm not excited about today, but next week, I'm really excited about teaching on Lord's Supper because I'm going to teach on what actually, what I'm convinced the scriptures teach, what actually happens during the Lord's Supper. So we're, next week, we're going to look at, at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And next week, I'm going to make the case, actually, that the Lord's Supper is what is called a means of grace, a means of grace, a, a channel of grace where Christ meets with us in a special way during the Lord's Supper. I'm convinced that that's what happens, that he nourishes our soul, that during the Supper, Jesus fellowships with our soul, feeds us spiritually, and really strengthens us in a transformative way. I think that happens during the Supper. I think that the the Scriptures teach that, the the confessions that we follow teach that. So that's what I'm going to teach about uh, next week. And I've been thinking about a lot of this issue just in the past month or so. Um, and frankly, I haven't heard a lot teaching on the Lord's Supper as a means of grace. So, so as I said, I'm excited about that. Um, but for today, and, and this is going to be great too, uh, I'm going to teach on sort of the, the basic doctrine of the Lord's Supper and how we should approach the table when we partake of the Lord's Supper. So if you haven't thought about the Lord's Supper a lot today will probably be the most important for you, okay? So I'm going to teach on, as I said, on on, uh, how we approach the table, and what we're going to do is walk through this passage in 1 Corinthians 11 that we read almost every week. And as I said, next week we'll teach on the Lord's Supper as a means of grace. So right now, let's look at 1 Corinthians 11, and we're going to start in verse 23. I'm going to read sort of chunks and sections, and we'll we'll just walk through the passage, and I'm going to offer some some comments and some explanation about it. So 1 Corinthians 11, beginning verse 23, as I said, we read this almost every week. If you look at verses 23 and 24, 1 Corinthians 11, 23 and 24, Paul writes this, he's writing to the church at Corinth. He said, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you do this in remembrance of me. So verse 23, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. 
So Paul is saying, I received this teaching, I received this instruction from the Lord Jesus. I think Paul received this in a special revelation from Jesus, and now he's saying, and I've faithfully delivered it to you. So Paul's saying, I've received this, and now I'm faithfully delivering this to you. So these are not just the words of the Apostle Paul, this is not just Paul's opinion, this comes from the Lord Jesus Christ, who's God. So we should take this very seriously. And Jesus has given us this institution. We can call it an ordinance. We can call it a sacrament. I'll talk about that next week. But this institution of his supper, where he feeds us spiritually. It's the Lord's Supper. And so that's what Paul is going to talk about. He's going to give us instructions. So in verse 23, continuing, Paul said that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks... When he had given thanks, I'm going to stop there. On the night Jesus was betrayed. So this is only a few hours before Jesus was arrested. And the next day he was murdered. He was crucified outside the walls of Jerusalem on a Roman cross. And on this night, the night before Jesus was crucified, he's celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples. And then he says, and it says, uh, and when he had given thanks. So Jesus broke the bread and he gave thanks to God. So this meal is a thanksgiving meal. That's important. During the Lord's Supper, we are to come to the table with a thankful attitude, with a thankful heart. Most of all, we are thanking God, the Father, for sending his son Jesus. We're thanking our Lord Jesus for dying in our place on the cross and being raised from the dead. We're thanking the Lord for loving us, for making us his people. So we're to come to the table with thankful hearts. So the Lord's Supper is a thanksgiving meal. The the Greek word for gave thanks, see if this sounds familiar. It's eucharistasis or eucharisteo. Does that sound familiar? Eucharist. Eucharist. That simply means gave thanks. So the word eucharist, some some. Churches and denominations will call the Lord's Supper the Eucharist. That's totally fine. That's wonderful because it's expressing that this is a Thanksgiving meal. So if you want to use the word Eucharist, that's great. Again, because this we're to come with thankful hearts. Continuing in verse 24, Paul said, When he had given thanks, he broke it, he broke the bread, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So Jesus broke the bread and he said, this is my body. This is my body. Now, the church has talked about this statement probably more than any other statement in history. This is my body. What is Jesus saying here? We're going to, well, I'm gonna, I'll give a little spoiler, but most of all, we're going to talk about it next week. But, but our, our church and most Protestants believe that Jesus' physical body is not present in the, the bread and the cup. We don't believe that Jesus, when he's holding the bread, that he's saying that that piece of bread is actually his physical body. And we don't believe that the bread and the cup turn into his physical body and blood. Now, that doesn't mean it's not important. It's huge. And that's, again, that's what I want to stress next week. But we don't believe that Jesus, that, that's a Roman Catholic teaching of transubstantiation. Again, I'll go into this next week. But they believe that, that Jesus' body miraculously, that the, the bread and the wine miraculously turn into his body during the supper. And we don't believe that. But again, I'll, I'll stress that next week because it, it's, it's very important. But Jesus does say this, and I want to spend some time thinking about this. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. 
do this. Jesus says, take the Lord's Supper. And I want us to think about this. Because, and actually, this is where church history can help us. Because during the Protestant Reformation, there were lots of discussions about all sorts of various theological issues. Justification by faith alone, sola fide. Uh, There were articles and books and discussions about things like election and predestination and baptism and the Trinity and who is Jesus and all these things. But get this, there was one issue where there was more discussion and debate over than any other issue. There were more arguments made, more ink was spilled on one issue than any other issue during the Reformation. You know what that was? It was the Lord's Supper. It was the Lord's Supper. There was a huge debate over what's happening during the Lord's Supper. Now, why is that aspect of church history important? It's for this reason. Because regardless of where you stand on the issue of the Lord's Supper, what church history shows us is that Christians cared about the Lord's Supper. They cared a lot about it. The the Christians during the the Reformation understood that this was a huge thing. They cared about having a correct understanding of the Lord's Supper. And my concern today, and I I don't want to have a haughty attitude or condemning spirit, but my concern today is that, in my estimation, most Protestant churches don't really care about the Lord's Supper. And I think that's a serious problem. And a lot of churches, churches will take the, the Lord's Supper once a quarter, once a year even, and sometimes it's on a Sunday night. And if you happen to miss that Sunday night, and maybe you've been in a church like that, you may go months, you may go years without taking the Lord's Supper. And Jesus says, do this. He says, do this thing, okay? So I'm not saying that the Lord's Supper has to be taken every week. I'm not saying because there's no command to do that. But there's also no command to preach every week. You're not going to find a command to sing every week. But what we find is that the early church, actually for hundreds of years, took the Lord's Supper every single week. There's no debate about that. So in my, my view is if the early church is taking the Lord's Supper every week, it's not wrong to take it every week, right? And there may be something to it. In fact, my argument next week will be that because it is a means of grace, I'm convinced that not taking it on a frequent basis Maybe one of the reasons, I'm not saying it's the only reason, but maybe one of the reasons that why the church is so weak and worldly today. Because if it's a means of grace, if God grows his people through that, then that could explain why the church is not receiving this channel or this means of grace from the Lord. But again, I'll, I'll talk about it more next week, okay? Just something to think about. Verse 25, it says, In the same way, Jesus also took the cup after supper, saying, This covenant, or this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant in my blood. I think when the disciples heard this, they must have been shocked at what Jesus was saying. Because he's talking about the new covenant. Jesus is celebrating the Passover, as I said, with his disciples. The Passover was part of the old covenant, where God saved his people out from slavery in Egypt. And really, when God pulled his people out and saved his people out of slavery in Egypt through the Passover... That's really where the, the, the Jewish people became a nation at that moment, from the Passover. And just real quickly, what the Passover was in Egypt, there had been nine plagues in Egypt. While Pharaoh was there under the leadership of Moses and Aaron, nine plagues had been put on Egypt, and Pharaoh kept saying, no, I will not let your people go. And Moses kept saying, God said, let my people go. On the 10th plague was the death of the firstborn. And at that time... 
God said, and this is what he did, he said, I'm going to strike down the firstborn in every house. It's a judgment coming. And, but God made a provision for the people of Israel. Now, now think about the symbolism here. He says, you take a lamb without spot, a spotless lamb. You kill that lamb as a symbol of the sacrifice of the judgment of God going on the lamb. Then you take the blood of the lamb and you put it on the doorframe, the lintel of your house. And God said, the angel of death, messenger of death, which is God himself. He said, I, when I go through the land of Egypt, I will strike down all the firstborn, except if I see the blood of the lamb covering this house. You hear the picture of that? If I see you covered by the blood of the lamb, then I will pass over in judgment. I won't bring judgment on that. Jesus is the Passover lamb. He fulfills this, okay? So there, Jesus is celebrating the Passover when he said, I'm instituting the new covenant. And, and, and Jesus' disciples must have been in shock because for over 600 years, the people have been waiting on the new covenant. And Jer- we're not going to turn to it, but I would encourage you to read Jeremiah 31. And in Jeremiah 31, God gives a prophecy of the new covenant, And one of the most amazing things about the new covenant in Jeremiah 31 is that God says that in the new covenant, all the people in this covenant will know him intimately. He says no one will have to say, you know, teach somebody to know the Lord because they'll all know the Lord. So in the new covenant, we all know Jesus intimately. We know him personally. We know him savingly. And that's what Jesus is instituting right now with the Lord's Supper, with this Passover meal right before he was crucified. So Jesus is saying, I'm about to shed my blood. I'm about to go to the cross. My body will be broken. I will give my life. I will shed my blood for you. I will die in your place. That's what he's saying. Jesus is saying, I'm the true Passover lamb. I'm about to die for you. And he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. And then back to verse 25, he says, do this, as we said, do this as often as you drink it. And, And then he says this, in remembrance of me. In remembrance of me. Jesus said, eat this bread, drink the cup, in remembrance of him. So when we eat the bread and we drink the cup every week, what we're doing is remembering. We're remembering Jesus' crucifixion. We're remembering his broken body and shed blood. So it's a huge part of the Lord's Supper. When we take the Lord's Supper, we're remembering. This is how we should come to the table. Remember Jesus going to the cross. We remember the gospel, good news. That's what gospel means, good news. We're remembering the good news that Jesus died in our place. So when we take the Lord's Supper, we're remembering. It's a huge part. I don't think that's all. I think the Lord's Supper is more than a memory. But a big part of the Lord's Supper is remembering what Jesus has done for us. And one of the beautiful things about taking the Lord's Supper every week in our church is it forces us to remember Jesus going to the cross. It forces us to remember his sacrifice, his crucifixion. It forces me as a preacher to think about it because I know I've got to go to the table. So I know there has to be something. We got to go to the cross and think about what Jesus has done for us. And it's very, very helpful for a church. Verse 26, Paul says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is really wonderful. Think about this. Paul says, when we are partaking of the Lord's Supper, when we take the bread and the cup, what we're doing is we're not only remembering, we're proclaiming. 
We're proclaiming something. We're proclaiming Jesus' death. So we are making a proclamation. By our actions, we are saying something when we eat and drink at the table. We're making a proclamation. What are we proclaiming? Fundamentally, we're proclaiming that salvation is found only in Jesus Christ. That's what we're proclaiming. That forgiveness, spiritual nourishment, we're proclaiming that life itself is found only in Jesus Christ. That's what we're proclaiming. So think about that. When we take the elements in a silent way, we're actually proclaiming the gospel to one another. I thought about this this week. The greatest privilege that I have as a pastor, as a preacher, is proclaiming the gospel every week. I get to do that. I get the unspeakable privilege of standing up here and talking about how awesome Jesus is. It's awesome. About him dying in our place on the cross, being raised from the dead and conquering death and hell and, and uh, the resurrection life to come for his people. I get the privilege of proclaiming this. But here's the exciting part. Every week, if you're a believer and you are partaking of the Lord's Supper, look what you're doing. Paul says that when you drink this cup and eat this bread, you get to proclaim the Lord's death. You get to proclaim the gospel in a public way to one another as we partake. You get, in other words, in a funny way, you get to be a part of the preaching ministry of the gospel in a silent way just by taking the elements. I love it. It's awesome. So what a great privilege that all of us get to take part in this proclamation of the gospel by just taking the Lord's Supper. All right, now notice this too. Paul says in verse 26, he says, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. This is so beautiful. Because in this one passage, he talks about Jesus' death. So we're, lo- we're remembering. We're looking to the past. We're proclaiming what he's done in the past. But notice also what we're doing is we're looking to the future. So before we, uh, I'm sorry, we, we, there is a, a future orientation to the Lord's Supper. There's a, there's a past looking and there is a future looking. So it's this phrase, until he comes. That's what we're looking forward to, when Jesus comes. We're looking forward to Jesus' return. Jesus is returning one day. That's another thing I've noticed about taking the Lord's Supper, because I read this every week. I think more and more about Jesus' return, which is wonderful. I think we should have our minds fixed on heaven and on the resurrection life to come and on Jesus coming back. And when Jesus returns... He is not going to die as a sacrifice. He's already done that. Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's the king. He's the sovereign king of the universe. And one day Jesus is going to return like lightning that flashes across the sky from east to west. He will come with his angels and he's going to judge the world. And he's going to save his people out of that judgment. And he's going to raise us, his people, bodily. Give us glorified bodies that can never die. He's going to establish a new heavens and a new earth, a new Jerusalem. We will dwell with him. We'll see his face. All these things. That's what's going to happen when he comes. So again, when we take the Lord's Supper, we're looking back, we're remembering, we're looking in the past, but we're also looking to the future when Jesus will return and make all things right. So we're we're proclaiming all of this when we take the Lord's Supper. We're proclaiming not only his death, but we're proclaiming a risen king who is returning one day. That's part of the gospel. Back to 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. Paul now gives us some instructions 
and some warnings about eating and drinking the Lord's Supper. So let me read 27 to 32. Paul says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. What is the Lord saying here? What is is Paul saying to us through the Lord's teaching? Think about what what is going on with this. There's some dispute about this passage, and I'm not going to get into a bunch of details about it. But what's clear about it is this, that we are not to partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. I think that's the bottom line. We're not to do this in an unworthy manner. We are to partake of the Lord's Supper in a solemn way. It should be a joyful way. But the bottom line is it should be fitting because this is a sacred meal. This is a holy meal. The, the meaning behind this meal is huge. It's about Jesus and his precious sacrifice. So we're not to partake in an unworthy manner. We're to do this in a way that pleases the Lord. So Paul says, let a person examine himself. We're, we're to engage in some sort of self-examination. And from the context of 1 Corinthians, I think this means that we are to look at your, ourselves, mainly Look at ourselves and see if we're in the faith. That's primarily because in 2 Corinthians 13.5, you don't need to turn there, but in 2 Corinthians 13.5, Paul says something almost identical. He says, examine yourselves, same way, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. So since he's writing to the church at Corinth using the same phrase, I think what he is saying is before we take the Lord's Supper, we should ask ourselves, do I really have genuine faith in Jesus Christ? Have I given the controls of my life over to him? Have I repented of my sin? And turn, that means turned away from my sin. In other words, do I have a real desire to live for Jesus Christ? If you don't, please don't take the Lord's Supper. It, it doesn't mean this, though. It doesn't mean that I'm perfect. But do I have a genuine faith in Jesus? Maybe small faith, right? Maybe weak faith. But is my faith real? That's what we need to ask ourselves. I think that's what the, the type of self-examination that Paul's talking about. Verse 29, he says, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. So what does it mean to discern the body? To discern means to recognize or to have some level of understanding. So from the context, I think what Paul is saying is, I think discerning the body means have some, having some understanding about Jesus' broken body, about him dying on the cross. So we need to have some understanding about Jesus giving his body, giving his life as our sacrifice. Now, Paul could be talking about the church, which is sometimes called the body, but I think in this context, Paul is talking about Jesus' death, his body given for us. So we need to have some level of understanding, some basic level of understanding, discernment, about Jesus giving his body for us as a sacrifice. And that's why we only want true Christians to partake of the Lord's Supper. 
This is a covenant meal for true Christians who have some level of discernment, some basic level of understanding of what Jesus has done for us. Verse 29, it says, again, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. So Paul is saying if we eat and drink at the Lord's Supper without having some level of discernment, some, some understanding, some, some uh, examination, if we, he says that people who are doing this in an unworthy manner really are eating and drinking judgment on, him, on themselves. So again, Paul is saying the meal is holy, it's set apart, it's sacred. We're coming into close communion with the sovereign Lord in a special way during this meal. And we're given this warning that if you take this without discernment, without understanding, or if you take this meal in a flippant way, in a rebellious way, then you're eating and drinking judgment on yourself. God's not pleased with that attitude. Verse 30 says, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. This is, you can see how serious this is. There were some people in the church at Corinth who were taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. The context of this, if you read the whole book of, of First and Second Corinthians, immediate, the immediate context is these rich Christians in the church were getting there earlier, they were eating, they were filling their bellies, they were drinking, they were even getting drunk, and they were not allowing the poor Christians to partake. So it was, it was, it was a, really a disaster in the way that they were treating one another. Also, there was sexual sin going on in the church at Corinth, there was pride and idolatry, there was all sorts of terrible things going on. And many of these people, it says, were even proud of their sin. So God was disciplining these people because they were not taking the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. And the discipline is serious. Paul says then in verse 31 and 32, he says, But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. When we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. The next two verses in this we normally don't read, but look at those. Look at verses 33 and 34. Here you can kind of see the context. He says, So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. And then he says about the other things, I will give directions when I come. And, and in God's providence, we aren't given those directions. We don't know, we don't know what Paul said. And I'm kind of glad about that because God has given us a lot of freedom in taking Lord's Supper. We're not specifically told what to do. We, we're given general guidelines like we're kind of going through now, and then we do the best we can to try to please the Lord. So that's the context. Paul is saying when you come together as a church, wait on each other. Bottom line, care for one another. Treat each other with love and respect. So these guys in this church were holding on to their sin. They were proud of their sin. They were treating each other terribly. And then they were coming to the Lord's table. And God was not pleased with this. And so God was disciplining them through illness, weakness, and even death. Very serious. So I believe that that coming to the table in an unworthy manner is something like this. It's something like you come to the table and you say, Yes, Lord Jesus, I know you died for my sin. But I'm going to continue willingly doing this sin anyway that I'm engaged in. I'm treasuring it. I'm cherishing my sin, and I don't have any desire to change. I think that is an attitude of coming to the table in an unworthy manner. Or it's, I'm, I'm going to continue treating these other brothers and sisters in the church. I'm going to continue treating them like garbage, and I don't really care. That's coming to the table in an unworthy manner. Holding on to sin. 
Cherishing sin and saying, I'm going to continue doing that. That's coming to the table in an unworthy manner. That's coming to the table with a defiant and rebellious attitude. It's defiling, in a sense, metaphorically, it's defiling the body and blood of Christ. And if you do that, what God is saying is, don't be surprised if judgment comes on you, if disciplining judgment comes on you by God. It's a, it's a ser- very serious thing. Now, I want to make this clear, and the Bible makes it clear. Just because a person gets sick, it doesn't mean they're sick because of some sin. It doesn't mean that they're taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner or engaged in some other sin. Just because a person is sick, there's not necessarily a one-to-one correlation between suffering and sin. In fact, that's the whole point of the book of Job. If you've ever read the book of Job, Job is the most righteous guy on the whole earth, and yet he suffers the most, okay? So don't think that there's this necessarily this one-to-one correlation between suffering and sin. Don't, don't say, oh, you're sick. You must have some unconfessed sin going on. No, don't have that attitude. That is, that is false teaching. Also this, our job is not to look around and examine other people. Did you notice that? That's not our job. Look again at verse 28. It says, let a person examine himself. Examine himself. It's not your job, it's not my job to evaluate others. Our job is to examine ourselves. This is a self-examination time. This is not a time for looking around and saying, oh, look what they're doing, look what they're doing. That's not what we're to be doing. This is a self-examination time. Now again, I want to stress this. The Lord's Supper is for believers. It's a family meal. It's a covenantal meal. It's for believers only. If you're not a Christian, please don't take the Lord's Supper. Please don't. If you're in defiance and holding on to some sin, don't take the Lord's Supper. I re- repent, turn away from it, turn to Christ, but don't take the Lord's Supper because God is serious about bringing discipline against those who take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. All right, I'm going to close with this, and this is really important, and I'm going to frame it in the form of a question. Look back at verse 27 again. Look back at verse 27. Where Paul says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. I'll ask this question. Does Paul say unworthy people should not come to the table? Does Paul say if you're unworthy, you should not come to the table? Is that what Paul says? He does not say that. He does not say if you're unworthy, stay away. Paul does not say that unworthy people should stay away from the table. No, we're warned about taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. We're not given a warning about unworthy people. Why? Because we're all unworthy. (laughs) We're all unworthy. That's the entire point of the Lord's Supper. That's, That's why we need Jesus, because we're all unworthy. So don't think to yourself, and I've heard Christians say this, don't think to yourself, you know, I've had a really bad week. I've really been struggling over some sin. I don't want to do this, but I can't give victory over this sin. I don't want to sin. I hate my sin, but I just continue to struggle with it. I'm so unworthy, so I won't come to the table this week. Don't think like that. This table is for unworthy sinners. If it were only for worthy sinners, I would have never taken the Lord's Supper. It's only for unworthy sinners. 
Every week the Lord sets this table for us. For us who are unworthy sinners. Because we are unworthy. Because we need Him. So come to the table. If you genuinely hate your sin, if you want a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ, if you genuinely want to live for Him and you want to please Him, then this table is for you. This table is for unworthy people. That's the whole point of the table. And I would say this too. Paul says, examine yourself. And so here at WCC, as Greg's been talking about the order of worship, every, every week we have a time of confession. Also, every week, right before we come to the table, we read this section of 1 Corinthians 11 as an encouragement to examine ourselves. But we don't do this. We don't say, okay, now you need a lot to spend a lot of time thinking about everything you did this week. We don't do that. We don't do the navel-gazing thing, right? We don't say, okay, we're going to spend 10 minutes now thinking about all the stuff we did. We don't do that. You know why we don't do that? Because if I do that every week, where are our thoughts going to go? Me, myself, and I. (laughs) That's where our thoughts are going to go if we do the navel-gazing thing. Me, myself, and I. Yes, we're to examine ourselves. If we see sin, we repent, we turn to the Lord. Again, that's why we do a time of confession. But don't stay fixated on yourself. We don't want our thoughts to be fixed on ourselves. Listen, we spend enough time during the week thinking about ourselves, honestly. Every one of us, from the time we get up to the time we go to bed, our thoughts are pretty much, I want, I want this, I want that, I don't want this to happen, I'd like for this person to do this. We think about our own desires and our own self We don't want to spend the time at the Lord's table, again, thinking about ourselves. We want our thoughts to be fixed on Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We want to be captivated by our Lord, about what He's done. By going to the cross, we want to be thinking about Jesus' broken body and shed blood and being raised from the dead. The fact, as, as we saw one day, He's returning. That's where our thoughts need to be. That's why we don't do this whole thing. Because we want our thoughts to be focused on Jesus Christ. He is the one worthy of our attention. He is the one worthy of our thoughts, of our honor and worship and praise. I'm going to wrap up. Again, do not think to yourself, I'm not coming to the table because I'm unworthy. Don't think to yourself, I'm not coming to the table because I'm a great sinner. Don't think like that. Because here's the truth, and I've said it before, and Lord willing, I say it again. Yes, you are unworthy. Everybody here is unworthy. Yes, you are a sinner. You are a very great sinner. But Jesus is a greater Savior. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father, we love you and praise you. Lord, thank you for your word here in 1 Corinthians 11. Thank you for just this teaching on the Lord's Supper. I, I do pray that just, I know this is a brief little two-week deal on the Lord's Supper, but I do pray that we would think more about it and, and think about how wonderful and really strange it is, but in a wonderful way, that we set aside time every week to fix our thoughts on Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, you are amazing. You are awesome. We thank you for dying in our place. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. This is a Thanksgiving meal, and we thank you for being our Savior and for for dying the death that we deserve. So, Lord, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, your supper, this meal that you have set out for us, for your people, 
I pray that our hearts would just be transformed and we would just have a, a, a greater desire to love you and live for you. That we would really give over the controls of our lives to you. And, and God, if, for, for those here this morning who are not following you and have not put their faith in you, I pray that they would see the bad situation that they're in and their need for you. And for those of us who are in Christ, Lord, who are in fellowship with you, I pray that, that every week when we engage, when we take the Lord's Supper, that we would engage in thinking about you and, and just how glorious you are and that it would renew our faith and our desire to live for you. So God, we praise you and love you. God, Jesus, thank you again for loving us and just for caring about us. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.